But we're going to be in Exodus chapter 25, verse 10 tonight. Um, and I want to welcome everybody here tonight and everybody listening on our podcast channel. Um, it's great to be here. Um, last week, uh, Pastor Joey talked about our worship and giving back to God and how it is to bless the Lord. And it was a great teaching, you know, because God gives us everything that we have and we give back to him. So tonight in Exodus chapter 25, verse 10, we're going to be talking about some special pieces of furniture that are associated with the tabernacle. And the Ark of the Covenant is mentioned first. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to go to chapter 25, verse 10, and we're going to read about the Ark. It says this, Have them make an ark of acacia wood, two and a half cubits long, a cubit and a half wide, and a cubit and a half high. Overlay it with pure gold, both inside and out, and make a gold molding around it. Cast four gold rings for it and fasten them to the four feet with two rings on one side and two rings on the other. Then make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Insert the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry it. The poles are to remain in the rings of this ark. They are not to be removed. That's important. They are not to be removed. Then put the ark then put in the ark the tablets of the covenant of the law which I have given you. It's a pretty long verse, isn't it? But we're going to talk about these special pieces of furniture that are associated with this ark. Much of this furniture, most of it, is made of this acacia wood. And these trees flourished in this barren region of the desert, and they had thorns on them. But its wood was a brownish-orange color, and it was very durable for making great furniture and making things. They still actually use this today. And the Ark of the Covenant, is, the Ark is mentioned first, and there's a reason that it's mentioned first, because it's the most important. So this would symbolize the throne of God. This wouldn't be just a wooden chest. The Ark couldn't be called just a wooden box, because the Ark was completely different. This Ark had several different names to it. It was the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of God, the Ark of the Lord, and the Ark of the Testimony. Now, a lot of you have heard that cubits, right? So a cubit, I'm just going to put it, is 45 inches long, 27 inches wide, and 27 inches high. That's what a cubit is, okay? So we won't, we won't talk about that. You'll hear more about that. But this Ark, it was symbolic of God's throne, and it's the focus of God's presence with his people. And this will be the central point of contact between heaven and the tabernacle, the earthly symbol of heaven right here. And that's the title of tonight's teaching. Tonight's teaching is Heaven Meets Earth. This is where heaven comes down and meets earth in this tabernacle. And all this is built according to the pattern that God has given them. God's going to give them specific instructions on how to build this. It's very important. First point I'd like to make, this is God's presence among his people. This is where God's going to be. His presence is going to be there. Now, this ark, like I said, is not just a wooden box, for it contained gold, and it couldn't be called just a golden chest because it contained wood. And this overlaying of the gold, both inside and out, was very important. 
This overlay is mentioned, it's understood that it's probably referred to shin, thin sheets of hammered gold that are held in place by small nails. The wood of the ark was not to be evident because of the overlay of the gold. The gold overtook the wood. And since God is a God of beauty, the molding around the top edge may have been both practical and functional as well as aesthetically pleasing. It was probably very attractive. The ark, of the, the ark of the wood overlaid with gold typifies the union of Jesus' divine and human natures. It was a true symbol of our Lord Jesus Christ is what it was. This acacia wood is the, is the wood that had thorns on it. In this barren land, this acacia wood was growing and it had thorns. And I believe that this is not by mistake that, he want, that God wanted this wood used. Because this tree grew in the desert and Jesus would be crowned with a crown of thorns. Also with a crown of gold. So it's not by mistake. His humanity was represented by the wood which he died for us on that cross. He died for each and every one of us. His deity was represented by the gold. It requires both to maintain the symbolism pointing to Jesus as fully God and fully man. In Philippians 2, verse 6 through 7, it says, Who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in the human likeness. Jesus has two natures. He's fully God and he's fully man. What's interesting about that, he is God, but he didn't have two different personalities. Sometimes we see that in people, don't we? Different personalities. He did not have that. He was God. He was the express image of God. In 2 Corinthians 5.19, it says that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And now this gold that gave this glow to the wood and the ark, it just... It was the deity of Christ glorified in his humanity during his earthly service. In Acts, Acts 10, 38, it says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good and healing all those who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. The ark was a symbolic of God's glory in two ways. The first way was this. The ark dwelt among mankind. And Jesus was with mankind during his earthly ministry. The second, the ark represented the throne of God where he manifested his glory. Jesus is seated at the right hand of God in all of his glory. And then verses 13 and 16, it gives us details about these poles. When I read this, I was very interested in why there was so much detail about these poles. I didn't quite understand it, so I really had to read it. But these were just not any poles. They were very specific. They were made of this acacia wood, and each pole was overlaid with gold that no wood would be exposed. And they're inserted into these rings, and the poles on each, were on each side. And the purpose of the poles was to carry the ark. 
and they would remain there. It said, do not remove them. I'm like, wow, do not remove them. Like, trying to think about that, but I always think about when I take stuff at home and I don't put it back where it's supposed to be, and then I can't find them. Maybe God just knew that, or maybe not. But he says they're not to be taken from it. And this direction was probably given in order that the ark was not to be touched by human hands while it was resting or it was in motion. Human hands were not to touch the ark. At the lower corners of the ark was a gold ring. They served as a dual purpose. These rings were affixed and they were not at the upper corners. They were at the lower corners, at the four bottoms. And they were there for a reason, because when men carried the ark, they carried it above their shoulders. They lifted it up on high. And it's very important. And there was no danger of them coming in contact with the ark at all. They served as feet for the ark when they moved from place to place. When the Israelites traveled to a new location, they were not to touch it. In other words, God's commands on this were very absolute, very clear, and very straightforward. The ark was to be carried by these poles and these poles alone. When we read God's word, sometimes we don't understand it, right? But the Holy Spirit will help us through that. The Holy Spirit will help us understand what that is. They were also warned never to touch any of the items in the ark, the holy items, and it was under penalty of death. In Numbers 4.15 it says, but they must not touch the holy things or they will die. The details contained in the instructions in Exodus were mercifully given by God so that the people would have no doubt what God expected of them and with respect to to what the ark was and how it was to be moved. And later, it was only apparent for disregard for God's word many centuries later that Uzzah unfortunately died because he touched the ark. And the reason he did that is because the specific way of transportation, they deviated from it. And it started to fall, so he reached out. The poles were scanned for a method of transportation. There was no alternative given. And then in verse 16, it tells us the ark was not meant to be an empty box. Moses is told to put the, the testimony in there. The tablets containing the law which God will give him. This depositing of the law is a sacred place. In the covenant law, it says, what I will give you. What was this law? What was this? The answer to this question must consider a couple points. First of all, the meaning and the significance of the ark of the testimony was wrapped up in the relationship, the divine presence of Yahweh with his people. This law was a testimony to the Israelites to direct them in their duty, and it would be a testimony against them if they transgressed and they disobeyed. God was very clear about that. The next point, this was a reminder of the importance of obeying God's word. It's important that we obey God's word. 
Never before in history of earth had God established a singular location in which he would make his presence known. And so the ark represented to Moses and the Israelites a tremendous privilege which they must treat with respect and honor. The ark is a symbol of God's presence among his people. God would be present in the midst of his people. And it says in Hebrews 4.16, come boldly before the throne of grace and find mercy and grace in time of need, says the Lord. Jesus kept the commandments perfectly. As believers, we're, in an, we're a new creation in him. We're a new creation in Christ. That means when God looks at us, he doesn't see our sin. What he sees is his son, Jesus Christ. Because we're that new creation in him. In verse 17, it says this. Make an atonement cover of pure gold, two and a half cubits long and a cubit and a half wide, and make two cherubims out of the hammered gold at the ends of the cover. Now, cherubim is single, but it says the plural for that is cherubims, and it's an angelic figure repeatedly mentioned in the Bible. The cherubims are described as serving the will of God, performing divine duties in the earthly realm. Their initial responsibility, does anybody know what their initial responsibility was? Can anybody tell me? Playing harps. I like it. I like it. We're going to go back to Genesis, the Garden of Eden. That was where they were first mentioned in response to that. The cherubims are the God's throne bearers. And I have a picture of one up here, I believe. That's kind of what it looked like. That's the best picture that I got, the one I liked the most. There were a lot out there. If you check it out, there's a lot out there. I like this one the best. You like that? Looks nice. So, But in verse 19, it says, Make one cherub on one end and the second cherub on the other. Make the cherubs of one piece with the cover at the two ends. The cherubs are to have their wings spread upwards, overshadowing the cover with them. The cherubs are to face each other, looking toward the cover. Place the cover on top of the ark and put the ark in the tablets of the covenant of the law that I will give you there above the cover between the two cherubims that are over the ark of the covenant of the law. I will meet you, meet with you, and give you all the commands for the Israelites. Now this describes the items that are on the top of the ark, this mercy seat, this place of atonement. This term has, I think, a double meaning, the emphasis on it. The root is literally covering. It's a symbolic of covering or blotting out sin. Covering our sin. Now the seat was the same length and width as the ark, and it was a solid slab of gold fashioned into a mercy seat. Nothing else. Solid gold. But it wasn't the only piece that there. These cherubim's figures were so important. And the Lord told Moses that there were to be two cherubim's on the top, the two ends of the mercy seat. And they were to be made out of gold, and I believe that Moses looked at these and he saw a pattern in Ezekiel. And that's where he came up with this because there were really no real instructions of what they looked at. But in Ezekiel 1, 8 through 9, it says, Under their wings on the four sides, they had human hands. All four of them had faces and wings, and the wings one touched the wings of another. Each one went straight ahead. They did not turn 
as they moved. This may have given Moses this visual of what they looked like, these two cherubims sitting on the mercy seat. And it describes what they're doing. Their wings are facing upward towards heaven. And they're covering this mercy seat. The placement of the mercy seat on the ark, we do not know whether there was a separate door that came in there or if there was an entrance on the inside if they had to remove that seat to get there. But what we do know is that Moses once again is commanded to place the testimony, these tablets of stone that he received, which God gave to him himself into the ark. In 2 Kings 19, verse 15, it says, And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubims, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of earth. You have made heaven and earth. The purpose of this mercy seat for Moses was there so that he could meet with God and he could hear all that God had commanded him. No longer did Moses have to climb up to the top of Mount Sinai, but he had the unique privilege of entering into this holies of holies to meet the Lord himself. And the Lord would speak to Moses face to face from these cherubims on this mercy seat. Their God would speak to Moses. No one else had this privilege. Not even Aaron was privileged to do that. The mercy seat was made, was made as a place to appease God. When the sacrificial blood was sprinkled on it on the, on, once a year on the day of atonement, God's throne among his people the mercy seat was transformed from a throne of judgment to a throne of grace when it is sprinkled with that atoning blood. Today for us, as sinners, we have a mercy seat and that mercy seat is sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ who died on the cross to atone for our sins. It's because of his love for mankind that God initiated a plan by which people could be reconciled back to him. It was God who initiated this plan so that we can be reconciled with him. In 1 John 4, 10, it says, this is real love. Not that we've loved God, but he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. The mercy seat, God's throne. He didn't sit upon it in the physical sense, but he dwelt among it between the cherubims. In Psalms 99, verse 1, it says this, The Lord reigns, let the nations tremble. He sits enthroned between the cherubims, let the earth shake. God must be lifted on high and always first in our lives. We have to put God first in our lives always. God dwells with us. And we lift up the name of Jesus Christ always, obeying him and putting him first in our lives. This is kind of like the, the first beginnings of Matthew 6.33. Everybody knows Matthew 6.33, right? Pretty famous verse. But seek first the kingdom of God. Because putting God first in everything, that's what they're doing here. Putting God first. Now we're going to move to another piece in verse 23, it says, Make a table of acacia wood, two cubits long, a cubic wide, and a cubit and a half high. Overlay it with pure gold and make a molding around it. Also make a, around it a rim handbreadth, 
wide and put a gold molding on the rim. Make four gold rings for the table and fasten them to the four corners where the four legs are. The rings are to be close to the rim to hold the poles used in carrying the tablet. Make the poles of acacia wood, overlay them with gold and carry the table with them. And make its plates and dishes of pure gold as well as its pitchers, bowls for the pouring out of offerings. Put the bread of the presence of the table to be put before me at all times. Now we're going to see different items that are there. We see these different items, these dishes, these pitchers, these bowls. And it talks about the bread. And I believe this bread refers to the presence of God. Probably the 12 loaves, about the 12 tribes that they had. This offering was being there at all times. God wanted it there all the time. It was the fruit of his people's labor, is what he's saying. And acknowledging the blessings that God had given them. Do we do that? How many times do we acknowledge the blessings that God has given us? So many times we take it for granted, don't we? I remember in FPU, um, Financial Peace University, one of the classes, um, somebody said once, well, that's, that's my check. That's got my name on it. But where did you get the giftings that you use to earn that money? It came from God. Everything comes from God. And they were acknowledging that God's blessings for all of them. Everything that they had and everything that we have is provided by God. And later it would hold a golden jar holding the manna and Aaron's rod which budded as well as the tablets of the covenant. In Hebrews 9.4 it says this, which had the golden altar of incense and a gold-covered ark of the covenant. This ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant. It's very interesting what these objects are. These objects tell us that the law of God was in Christ's heart. And he perfectly obeyed it. In Psalms 40, verse 7 through 8, it says, Then I said, Here I am. This is Jesus. I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is written on my heart. The manna foreshadowed Christ in his ministry in many different ways. The Lord referred to himself as the bread of heaven or the bread of life. He would satisfy all our hungers, all our needs. He is the true man and he is sufficient to meet all our needs and meet all the needs of his people. In Philippians 4.19 it says, And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He will satisfy our hungry souls. He is the living bread. In Matthew 5, 6, it says this, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied, strengthen believers, and strengthen the believers for service. The next point is God is present to meet the needs of his people. God is present to meet the needs of his people because Jesus is the true bread of life to all who receive him. We have to receive our Lord into our lives.
And now this budding rod, it was a picture of Christ's resurrection. It was really interesting when I read this because I wanted to know what that meant. And it really was interesting because just as the dead rod did not have any buds on it, it blossomed then and it yielded almonds. Jesus, it's a picture of Jesus' resurrection after three days, breaking the bars of death and validating his resurrection, having victory over the grave. He alone is the resurrection and the life. And it is only through Jesus that we can have that resurrected life. And only through him that we can bear fruit for the kingdom and glory of God. And John 15, 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from God, we can do nothing. We put God first in our lives. We obey his words. And from there, we will receive his blessings. In verse 31, it says, Make a lampstand of pure gold. Hammer, it, hammer its base and shaft. And make its flower-like cups, buds, and blossoms of one piece with them. Six branches are to extend from the sides of the lampstand, three on one side and three on the other. Three cups shaped like almond flowers with buds and blossoms are to be on one branch. Three on the next branch and the same for all six branches extended from the lampstand. And on the lampstand, there are to be four cups shaped like almond flowers with buds and blossoms. One bud shall be under the first pair of branches. Extending from the lampstand, a second bud under the second pair and a third bud under the third pair, six branches in all. The buds and the branches shall be one piece with the lampstand hammered out of pure gold. Very interesting, isn't it? Giving such detail on how he wanted this done. God gave very meticulous detail to this. And in 30, verse 37, it says, Then make its seven lamps and set them up so that they light the space in front of it. The wicks, trimmers, and the trays are to be of pure gold. A talent of pure gold is to be used for the lampstand and all these accessories. See that you make them according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. It's interesting that in this, where they were at, there was no light. Inside this, you know, there was no natural light. So they had to have these lampstands to provide this light. These lampstands were the only lights that they had. And it's interesting because Jesus talks about being the light of the world. And he is. These seven lampstands signify a completeness or a fullness in Christ. The lights represent God's glory. And it was rep representing God's glory, reflecting into the Israelites. These lampstands represent that Israel, the Israelites were God's chosen people to shine a bright light to the Gentiles. That Shekinah glory. You know, God enlightens our worship and our service and our life, each and every one of us. For us, though, right here, 
God's word is our light. We're directed by his word. We're directed by this. His word tells us that this is what we need. The Bible is all we need. We need to live according to God's word. Moses was to make everything according to the pattern that God gave him. God's given us a pattern for life, hasn't he? He's given us direction. We know what the Bible stands for, right? Basic instructions before leaving earth. He's given us these instructions on how we should live. And we're also called to do everything according to what the Bible says. You know, Moses was given this words according to what he learned on Mount Sinai. So he was given this and he's saying, put these in the Ark of the Covenant so that my people would know what they are. We're to keep God's word in our hearts. Just like Jesus. He kept everything in his heart. We're to know that. We're also called to do everything according to the pattern that God has given us. But it's not from the according to the pattern from Mount Sinai. It's according to the pattern from Calvary. On that hill, the cross. When Jesus says, when for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, knowing that on the other side, there would be a bud a blossom, there would be fruit. And that fruit is each one of us. We're the fruit that he's talking about. As he died for each and every one of us so that we could have eternal life through him. When we talk about the ark, that was God's place that he showed his presence. We have the Holy Spirit living in us now. The presence of God is always with us through the Holy Spirit, when we receive him and we believe who he is. There might be someone here tonight that has not accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And you may not know the presence of the Lord. And if that's you, I'm going to give you a moment to, in a moment, I'm going to give you a chance to receive him as your Lord and Savior. And we're going to pray. But Jesus is everything that we need. He is the light of the world. He is the bread of life. And his presence is always with us through the Holy Spirit when we receive him and make him our Lord and Savior. Will you pray with me? Father, we're here for you tonight. And Father, we're thankful, so thankful for what Jesus did for us on the cross. And tonight... There may be someone here that doesn't know you, that doesn't know your presence in their lives. They haven't accepted Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. And Father, we just want to pray with them right now. Father, we just pray that we know that we're a sinner and we know that you died for us on the cross and that we repent of those sins and we turn in the opposite direction and we follow you and we'll follow you all the days of our lives. Keeping you first, as it says in Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God, putting you first always, turning away from our old behavior and following you all the days of our lives. Father, 
I know that you died for me on the cross so that I could be in that perfect relationship with you. And I'm so thankful for that. So Father, I receive you tonight. And I lift up the name of Jesus and follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.